In the second episode of our Davos Debrief series on Investec Focus Radio, Business Mavericks editor Tim Cohen chats to Investec's SA and UK CEOs Richard Wainwright and Ruth Lees at the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos. In this podcast, the second in the series of three, the trio discuss the burning issues being raised on the icy streets and in the auditoriums of the famous Swiss town. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the second day of the World Economic Forum in Davos. I'm once again sitting with the two CEOs of Investec Banks, Richard Wainwright and Ruth Lees, CEOs of the South African Bank and the UK Bank, respectively. My name is Tim Cohen. I'm the business editor of The Daily Maverick. It's a thrill to be here again with the two of you and talking about the day. It's been another crazy day. As always, uh, we haven't been to any of the parties yet. So, you know, tomorrow we'll be talking slightly differently, I suspect. But anyway, Ruth, you, you went to a, a UK business forum this morning. Tell us about it. Who, who was there? Why is the Prime Minister of the UK not there? <laughs> Thanks very much, Tim. Great, interesting day again today. Yes, this morning was a breakfast of the Confederation of British Industry together with KPMG. So led by the head of the CBI, who's Tony Danker. We also had the editor of The Economist, William Haig, and a number of others speaking and attending were the CEOs of the major banks in the UK, of Lloyd's, HSBC, and various other business counterparts around the room. So really talking and focusing on where the UK is at right now, uh, mumbling along a little bit in terms of growth, slow growth, uh, while Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng certainly made a huge dent in the confidence that we have for the UK economy, they were focused on growth. And that does seem to be missing from the plans of the government in terms of what we are hearing at the moment. So there is quite a bit of frustration among the forum in terms of where the UK is ultimately going. A lot going for the UK. It has uh, a lot of people want to come and live in the UK. It has deep skills, it has deep research, it is, has made great developments, for example, in FinTech, but it hasn't really announced a strong agenda in terms of the green environmental uh, changes that, that could come about, and everybody's looking for how to take the UK forward in terms of a growth agenda going forward. So difficult being on the outside of now the very big EU. Uh, the UK has suffered Brexit and COVID and the political, you know, now there's a political discount in terms of investing in the UK. So a lot to do in terms of getting the confidence back, getting investor confidence back into the UK and taking it forward. And what's the mood? Is the mood sort of cautious, thoughtful, worried, hopeful? Where would you put the needle? The mood was a little bit pessimistic in the short term, but incredibly hopeful and optimistic for the longer term. Okay. Oh, that's good. And Richard, you also went to a reimagining globalization function this morning. Tell us about it. Is globalization still a swear word or are we happy to just use it now? <laughs> Do we miss it <laughs> now, that, now that it's not happening so much anymore? I think the theme is that globalization is being adjusted, amended. Um, how it exactly going to pan out, time will tell. You know, this is a response to the supply chain issues that companies had, the resilience that countries and companies want to improve. So people are referring to a concept called friendshoring. There's a China plus one or China plus two concept. So on the panel this morning was the CEO of Tamaset from Singapore, big global investor, the CEO of Merck, a very large European uh, global company, and the CEO of Visa. And 
the discussions were around how globalization is going to change and the challenges that that's going to have and why it's necessary. And the, one of the consequences negative is when companies become more resilient and uh, they change supply chains, the cost structures change, how companies are going to respond to that. But secondly is the opportunity, both particularly for the emerging world, which countries are going to be cho chosen. The African continent is definitely on the cards. My sense is that uh, certain countries, particularly developed countries, are changing their investment and industrial policies and incentive policies to attract those capital. I think that's going to be done in, in our competing countries. And so the challenge for South Africa is what industrial policies and incentive policies are we going to have where we can attract that investment where we part of that rebalancing. So that's the opportunity for South Africa. It's definitely going to happen. It's a, to me, it's a, it's a once-off. And it's for us and, and our policymakers to be part of that. So part of my message to our policymakers is, is to deal with that and to recognize that. Yeah, to grab that opportunity, which, uh, as you say, is only going to happen once. The rebalancing won't happen again. And we do have some of the facilities that they would be looking for, presumably. So why should? Yeah. Ruth, tell us about real estate. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of subtopic, I guess, in the, in the forum, but it's, uh, still an important one. What did you hear about it today? So the topic was really around the turning point for real estate. Clearly, a significant move in interest rates and inflation has impacted that market, particularly in the US, the UK and Europe. There is a bifurcation in the market, different experiences in, in other countries in the world. For example, perhaps, you know, the Middle East and India experiencing still strong growth in real estate, but other areas being down. And just really the simple realization of rates going up leads to a fall in valuation. So those who got in at the wrong time will be heavily impacted. But on the other hand, those who do get in now at this new level, they talked about price discovery, which means prices are a lot lower. There's a lot of price oh, yes, discovery yes, going yes. on, which means you know nobody knows where to put it. But there are many funds being raised right now, distressed funds and, and other funds to invest in real estate at this new pricing point. What's the situation in the UK? Is there negative equity? Is there a lot of negative equity in real estate? Real estate investors in the UK have definitely been in a state of some shock, I'd say, you know, in right. the last couple of months, just really having enjoyed such a long period of very low interest rates. And today on the panel talking about not having needed to do much around the real estate itself because the interest rates were just doing the work for the investors. It became very much a financial transaction rather than about the hard real estate. Now they see the greatest risk as obsolescence. The obsolete old buildings are, are totally out of fashion and it's going to take a major investment. Investors are after new modern buildings that meet green credentials and are also in a wow state to attract people to come. For yes. example, two office buildings or to live in community style accommodation where there are swimming pools and gardens and, you know, barbecue spaces, bry spaces for my South African colleagues, et cetera. So a real transformation going on in that area of real estate. Uh, but at the same time, as you always see in these times of downturn, immense opportunity. Yep. So one of the key speakers today was Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. The, there has been a kind of frisian around artificial intelligence over the past uh, it's been really sudden i mean people have been talking about it for a long time but suddenly the the applications have just kind of bounced out into the public mind everybody's got pictures that they've uh, they've instructed you know artificial intelligence to make for them and it's obviously having an effect here at davos richard you listened to nadella what did you think of him what did you think of his message 
Look, I was very impressed by him. He's a, you know, exceptionally impressive man. Uh, runs a very large company. Right. Um, what really stood out for me, you know, as you've said, a lot of be- lot of talk around AI, fourth industrial revolution, which was the theme here four years ago. And from my perspective, always interested in AI and what's the practicalities of it. Yeah. Very rarely see it. Yeah. And just a week ago, with my colleagues back in South Africa, a, a, a concept called Chat. A GBT has has hit the world. Yep, this is a smart algorithms that that can write code, that can write marketing statements for you. And he spoke a lot about that. And he gave the example and the speed of the delivery of this. He gave the example of he was in in India early in January of this year, and he was shown an example of a rural farmer in India who was trying to access state assistance programs for rural farms. Right. And he went online, and uh, what actually he found was that a developer in, in India had taken both this chat's uh, GBT technology, AI, combined it with the online information on the state incentive programs, and this technology wrote the application for him in a few seconds, minutes. So you've got technology coming out of San Francisco, Silicon Valley, which was launched a few months ago, hitting rural Indian farmer in a matter of weeks and months. The speed that this can move around the world is absolutely incredible. So yeah. that was very profound for me. Yeah, yeah. And I just seen it in South Africa two weeks ago. No, 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 it's amazing. One of the things that I, th- I thought was so interesting about his presentation was that it now enables people to give verbal instructions which result in computer code. In other words, that makes it possible for people who, who have knowledge of a kind of computer requirement, but not necessarily a knowledge of the computing part of it. They're not the software engineers, uh, but they could still get quite close to the same kind of output. And that means that, you know, a whole new sectors of society might be able to ha- have a kind of shortcut into software engineering, or at least it would make software engineers much, much more productive. And so it really does feel like crypto, but with a use. <laughs> well, interestingly, on this particular chat, GBT, I was talking to an executive of South Africa who was at a Google lunch, and they were talking about it right. and how this will disrupt search engines. It's yep. got its own built-in search. So even the mighty Google yes. alphabet can potentially be disrupted their business models right. through this new technology. And he certainly put his money where his mouth is because he's put $10 billion down. <laughs> that doesn't even get him the whole of chat GBT. I mean, it just gets him half, half of the company. <laughs> it's extraordinary. But Ruth, there are dangers, I presume, in all of this. I mean, there, there, there are reasons to be cautious, right? There are. I did attend a panel on responsible AI and what thoughts are around that to major investors, billionaires from AI, being Thomas Siebel and Jim Breyer. Both speaking and used the words "be afraid," you know, when this touches sociology. So very much in favour of the phenomenal decrease to marginal cost that you can bring about through this AI and making things so much better. And as as Richard and yourself were talking about, transformational in terms of what can happen in the world. But we need to be very, very careful when this starts to touch people. And and both of these investors just wanted to shy away from those applications and real complications of thinking about that. And also the biases in data, they feel that there are very strong cultural biases in data 
and you need to really check the data very carefully and make sure that you have a comprehensive data set before you use it for yeah, yeah. It's, it's, applications for people. It's like that old rule about rubbish in, rubbish out. And if you've got biases going in, you, you're going to have biases coming out. That's just But really it's quite opening in terms of what is being done in the world from a manufacturing perspective, processing perspective, what Richard's talking about. So, And really moving at the speed of light in terms of how fast. And you can see strong cooperation between the different investors and those who are engaged in the industry. So really kind of open architecture in terms of sharing, which is enabling us a faster growth in a sector. Yeah. All right, let's finish off with the keynote speaker of Davos 2023. This is the Chancellor of Germany, Olaf Scholz. Uh, Ruth, you listened to him. What did you think? So again, you know, for Europe, coming across very, very strongly in support of the Ukraine. Yeah, and once again, sure another... To another, be there to the yeah. end. And also really taking a strong stand on where Germany is going to be by 2045 from a, a green tech perspective and making a strong stand for this. I think one thing we hadn't mentioned too much yesterday was the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. This has really caused major waves uh, for Europe. Uh, While they are speaking very diplomatically about it, the subtext is that this is protectionism. Yeah. (laughs) And they are not happy with the subsidies that the U.S. has brought in, and this is anti-competitive and uh, referred to having some conversations with the U.S. on site. So the U.S. is just gone out boldly and put incentives for U.S. companies to do things for other U.S. companies. But this has shaken the global cooperation really around this and what can be done from a transformation perspective. So he did allude to that in his talk. But I think for the U.K., uh, we really do need to think, you know, from our perspective in terms of where we can take the green agenda because Europe is coming out exceptionally strongly on Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was talking about Germany getting 80% of its power from renewable sources. Uh, you know, a very short space of time. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing. So he spoke um, a lot about how much Germany had to change during the past year. Yep. You know, that it was any, probably the most challenging year that Germany has had since the global financial crisis. And, but that challenge brought about change. And he spoke about speed and agility of Germany and, you know, anti bureaucracy, yes. which was interesting to hear from him. But they have moved fast in terms of the changes that they brought about in the past year, moving their reliance away from Russia to other sources of energy and wanting to channel this new adopted speedy action to the new things that they don't do. Yeah. There was some debate I heard about whether or not he would announce tanks for Ukraine. He didn't quite go there, but he spent a lot of time talking about about different systems that they have provided for Ukraine. I mean, it must be a terrible choice for the Germans. I mean, I, I just for... It was a very for, challenging question from the floor. And he had to refer to the US actually yeah. having made the, the biggest investment to support Ukraine. And he was giving reasons for why that's the case. But there is Germany with, you know, Ukraine right on its doorstep and yet the US. And he also referred to the UK having supported very strongly alongside Germany. But uh, yeah. he was quite defensive on that point. But nevertheless, I do think that you can see from him, from Ursula and everyone else we've heard from the EU, you know, speaking strongly in support of the Ukraine, and they do need to see them winning. Yep. All righty. Thanks very much, both of you. We will take this up tomorrow on the third, and I think sort of more or less the last day of the conference. This has been fun. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for listening to this fascinating discussion. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to rate this episode and to subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, we will bring you the last installment of the Davos Debrief as the World Economic Forum Conference wraps up in Switzerland. 
so do look out for that. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.